I do think taking stock of what are your values and are your company core values something that are easy to remember and inspirational? Are they allowing people to be a part of something greater than themselves or are they boring and in the box? Do you sound like the guy across the street? Could I differentiate you between you and, and your competitor by reading your values? And if the answer is no, then I highly recommend that you have some work to do because I say this and I say this wholeheartedly, as technology gets cheaper and faster and more available, that is the great equalizer for every company. And when that happens, price becomes more commoditized. So, the, so if price is commoditized and technology is ever-present, what separates me from my competition? And my belief is it's the people and it's the values and it's having a better team that's more aligned. And your core values are the tool to get you there. Welcome, Trust Builders. I'm Sue Dyer, and this is Lead with Trust, where we explore how leaders can build their business on a foundation of trust and reap the rewards of becoming the top performer in their market. Leaders that understand how to use and leverage trust are uniquely positioned to disrupt their industry and dominate their market. Distrust of businesses and business leaders is at an all-time high. Trusted businesses must have trusted leaders, and your team, your customers, and your vendors are waiting for you to step up and elevate the level of trust in your business. My hope is that this podcast can help you start your trusted leader journey. Hi, today's episode is all about core values. I remember going to the post office here, just just a couple doors down from my office and standing in line for 45 minutes. There were about 25 of us in line. And there were two windows open where people were helping customers. And on the wall was this huge poster. I mean, it must have been like 72 inches by 36 all about how the core values of the post office was all about the customer. So about this time, one of the two tellers closed their window. And then, so I stood in line and stood in line more and waited and waited. And then just as I was about to be the next person in line, the second teller closed their window. There was no one waiting on anyone. And by now the line had grown to about 30 people. And I thought, wow, those core values are pretty interesting. They're just a piece of paper on the wall. And interestingly enough, that is exactly the words Darius said to himself when he tried to start creating core values in his business. My guest today is Darius Mirshazadeh. He wrote a great book that is called The Core Value Equation. And Darius learned through working on creating these core values in his own business over many years and finally learned how to create core values that come to life. And that is what he's going to share with all of us today. So I can't wait. This is a great episode. I hope you enjoy. Well, hi, it's so nice to have you, Darius. And I'm going to let you say your last name because I'll probably butcher it, but I think I might be able to say it. You go first and then I'll try. Okay. 
I think it is Mirzade. Pretty good, pretty good. So when I used to, people would say, "How do you pronounce your last name?" And I'm like, "Smith." And then, <laughs> and then, and then, and then I always got like a weird response. No, it's Mirzade. Mirzade. Okay, it's, it's a beautiful name. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's Persian. And you want to know what it means? Yes, of course. It has a very cool name or meaning. So my first name, I was named after Darius the Great, who was the ruler of the world at one point. And uh, my last name, so it's three words. So Mir is one word. Shah is one word. And Zadeh is one word. So Zadeh, we'll start with Zadeh. Zadeh is descendant of. And then Mir is short for Amir, which means royal. And Shah is king. So descendant of the royal king. Well, isn't that very royal? I was named after a ruler of the world, and my last name means descendant of the royal king. It doesn't get much better than that, right? Well, hey, that I'm so privileged to have such an illustrious person on my podcast. Am I your first royal guest? You are my first royal guest, yes, <laughs> but hopefully not my last. <laughs> I know, yeah. It's 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 like, man, if only my ancestors could have been royal sooner. Gosh, then you know, I'd be like, I'd be like the royal family, but not, not so much. It's probably about a couple thousand years ago. So yeah, thanks for having me. This is fun. Well, thank you. Well, my listeners know that I'm all about trust and creating a high trust culture, high performing organizations. And when I began to read your book, The Core Value Equation, I thought, oh my goodness, this is somebody I have to get to know better because I think we're kindred spirits here. And uh, I, one of the things that struck me very first on it when you were telling your story in the book was how you saw that core values were words on a piece of paper. And I can't tell you how many times I have said that and felt that way. So tell us a little bit more about, about that and how you came to that. And, uh, and then we'll ask you more about what the heck is the core value equation? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, so I got introduced to the concept of core values in 2006 and it wasn't something I'm like, what are core values? I was just like, Oh, people use core values in their company. I think fun. I think, you know, intellectually I understood what a core value was. It's something that's important to you. Right. But I was a new entrepreneur back then. Um, don't let my baby face fool you. I'm 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 pretty young. I'm 43, and and back in 06, I was 27, probably 27, 28 when I first realized this. And so I was a young CEO. Uh, nowadays, everyone's a CEO, but um, you know, back in the early knots, you know, being in your 20s and being a CEO of a company with you know at that point, I probably had I don't know 100 employees. That was pretty unusual. Like I like like my employees were all older than me, and so I had this high growth company. And I had, you know, honestly, Sue, I had no idea what I was doing, like none. I was really entrepreneurial and I have a lot of confidence in my own abilities. So the fact that I didn't know what I was doing didn't bother me. It was, but it was uncomfortable. And I, and I knew that I could learn how to run a business. I, I was confident in my ability to learn. Um, and so I started looking for like, how do I figure this thing out? How do I figure out how, how do I get taught how, like, what are the best, there's gotta be best practices to do this. And and so I was, I think I was on like either online, I think I was online. I was like Googling the word growing pains because I was having a lot of them then. I mean, like literally I was Googling that word and, uh, and i and it was like a Friday night and I used to work a lot. I'd work like from, you know, I think I got into work at like nine or 10 in the morning and I'd work to like midnight, but I was young. So like, I didn't have kids and I wasn't married and I was just, I worked till 10, 11 to midnight and then I'd go out with my friends and then I'd go home and wake up get back to the office at nine and do it all over again. I, I worked like that for six days a week. And so it was a Friday night and it was late. It was like probably around midnight. And I'm, 
and I start looking up like programs for young entrepreneurs. Now, again, nowadays you say an entrepreneur under the age of 30, there's a lot of examples, you know, like that's, that's more normal now, but, and I lived in San Francisco, which let me put it this way. I was the only person I knew who was an entrepreneur and I was 27 years old as, as a CEO. If I was to say that now in San Francisco, people would laugh me out of a room, but that just kind of goes to show you what the environment was like back in 05, 06. Um, I started the company in 03. Um, and so actually this was in 05 when I had this moment. And so I, I found this program called Birthing a Giants put on by a gentleman by the name of Vern Harnish. And it's a program at MIT, and they bring together 60 of the most high-growth entrepreneurs from all over the world to MIT's suburban campus at this place called the Endicott House. And it's a three-year program on best practices for scale. And the first thing we were taught was you got to have core values for your business. So I, so I would go home from this thing, just my head would be spinning. And I mean, I, and there were some really, really impressive people in this room. I mean, like the former con- governor of Kentucky, Matt Bevin was my classmate. And one of my good friends, Sergio Fernandez de Cordova, who's part of the United Nations and chairman of the Public Foundation, was a classmate in that program. Uh, Kendra Scott, who a lot of people know, she graduated from the program. Um, so there's a lot of and the guys from Rackspace graduate from the program and 100flowers.com. There's all these great entrepreneurs that came out of the program. And But we're taught we have to have core values. So I go back to my company. And guess what I did? You created core values. I, I, I was like, well, what do we care about? So I wrote these like <laughs> six core values, 76 words, and I rolled them out and they didn't do anything. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I went back to, to Birthing the Giants year two. And I remember I specifically asked this question. I said, how do you guys get core values to come to life? And I'm, a, I'm the young pup, right? Because I was like 27, 28 years old. I was, there was only two people younger than me in the room, one or two people, either my age or younger. And like the, the rest of the people were almost five to 10 years older than us. They were all like barely under 40. We were like all, there was three of us in our 20s. And, and they're like, oh, you know, you got to do core value cards and we have core value t-shirts and you got to make these little things. You hang them up around the office and, you know, they're giving me all their ideas. So I go back to the office and, and I build core value cards and core value t-shirts. And yet again, like nothing happened. And in fact, I rolled out the core values at this point because they said, oh, you got to have a meeting and you got to like teach everybody what they are. So, I, so I, I do a conference call, which I talk about in my book, The Core Value Equation, where I basically read the core values and talk about them to my staff. And I'm halfway through reading core value number three to my team. And one of the girls who was a salesperson forgot to put her phone on mute. I don't even know why I did it over. It was over like a conference call. I should have just done it in person. But anyway, that's a story for another time. Uh, anyway, she doesn't. Un- she, she accidentally un- like didn't mute her phone. And I hear her say, "What's a, can I can I give a little curse? Is that okay? Will you be offended?" Of course. <laughs> okay. So she goes. She goes. This is such bullshit. <laughs> and she says it by like thinking she's muted. And there's 150 people on this call, and I blew my lid. I was like, "Who said that? Who said?" <laughs> you know, now, the reality is, I recognized the voice. I knew who said it. And and here's the best part of the whole thing. She was right. Like the core values in the company were. That's why you get upset because she knew she was right. Yeah, she because I was mad because I tried really hard and like all my effort was not going appreciated. Like, welcome to the world of being an entrepreneur and CEO, right? But you know, the the moment that changed my life was year three. I went back to Birthing a Giants in year three. I talk about this in the book as well. And we the night we graduated, we did this this workshop, and 
the guys that were running it were these two gentlemen who, who one of them is still the owner and, co- and founder of this company called Nurse Next Door. They're, they're uh, in the book Scaling Up. They're a case study in the book. They're one of the best places to work in the whole country of Canada and Vancouver and whatnot. So kind of a case study for a high, high culture place. And um, so they're running a core value workshop with us. And they said, okay, everyone, so there's 60 of us. We all just graduated from this three-year program. And, and they said, all right, please stand up if your company has core values. So we all stand up because we all, like the first thing we're taught, we're taught is we have to have core values for our company. And, and it's John and Ken are the guys running it. John says, uh, please stay standing if you know your company core values. You can say them off the top of your head. And I sat down. And, and here's the kicker, though. And, I, and it was like a total gut punch, right? Like, like I, I couldn't believe it. I'm a really competitive like perfectionist. So like I was mad that I sat down, but the kicker was half the room sat down. And so I was like, like my brain got like totally like, like confused. Like they're all, these are all CEOs that created their own core values. There's no real excuse why half of them would sit down, but it gets even better. They said, so John, his his co-founder said, please stay standing if your employees know your core values. So half of the remaining half sits down. So now I'm like, I don't know, halfway amused, halfway disgusted. Like, I, I had a lot of mixed emotions. And then the th- the kicker, John says, please stay standing if your customers know your core values. Everyone sits down. And I don't know what it was, but that moment changed my life. I realized, man, something's wrong here. Because I know all these people care about running a good business. And we're all being taught by Vern Harnish directly, who's you know, like one of the godfathers of scale systems. On, you've got to have core values for your business. I mean, he built Atlassian's core values. He himself did. So, like, this is like this is like the group. The, these are uh, early adopters of this type of stuff. You know, you know, he's learning this stuff directly from Jim Collins. You know, who talks about this and built to last. And you know, guys like Simon Sinek and Cameron Harold. These are guys that were coming into this small room and teaching. us these things so this is you know 15 years ago before everyone and their mother you know has core values in their business and and so that next morning i i sat down i was hungover admittedly and 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 i sat down in this little cafe in in cambridge massachusetts and i said you know what does my company stand for i said well we stand for four things we work hard we stand for doing the right thing. I was a subprime mortgage lender. So that, that whole industry took the world economy down. So I was like, we got to have integrity in our business. We're innovative. We're always like trying new things. And you know, like we care about creating a really good product, you know, like that's, so I was like, well, what's the way, how can I express that? And I literally just wrote it. I wrote hard work, do work, uh, integrity, live Zen, innovation, break the box, uh, excellence. Wow. Everyone do work breaks, you know, do work, lives in break the box. Wow. Everyone. And I went back and I wrote a bunch of bullet points as to what they stood for. I took them back to my company and right away things changed. And I was like, wow, I'm onto something here. So that was, that's kind of the origin story on how I got obsessed with core values. Um, but that moment, this was, you know, June of 2008, you know, 13 years ago, that moment changed my life. And after that, it, it became a pretty big thing that I, I now use for it's one of my favorite tools for scale. Yeah, it's absolutely. Uh, I, I, I feel the same way about it is that uh, the core values create the culture, create the norms, and then people normalize to those. And that's how you really run your company. You can't control everyone, particularly if you're, if you're producing a service. How do you have quality control over a service delivery? 
you can only do that through having those kind of culture that come from the core values. Yeah, it's exciting stuff. So what do you think is possible when you do have these core values? I want to kind of continue on with your story. So you've, you've, uh, you've gone back, things started to change. What changed and now what became possible that wasn't possible before? Well, you know, that business, unfortunately, was a wounded bird. Uh, you know, it kind of like <laughs> it was a subprime mortgage lender. Like To put for, for listeners who like, don't know what I'm talking about, there was a website called the Mortgage Implodometer. And basically 75% of that industry went out of business in like a three-year period. And, and eventually I shut that company down. But so I didn't get to really scale that company. Um, what I did learn, though, was I learned how to get people to use values. And the the first thing that I realized was that the typical, and it wasn't like I, I kind of landed there intuitively. I'm a pretty, in, I'm a intuitive somatic, you know, like I, I kind of like feel intuitively in my body and that tell, kind of talks to me and I make decisions based off of what I'm kind of sensing. And so, and, I, and I'm really design, I'm a design minded person. So things like I have a kind of an eye for design. And so, um, I just was like, hey, if all these people can't remember their core values, it's probably because they're too hard to remember. So why don't I design them to be like memorable and less words, right? Like, like it wasn't rocket science. I was like, well, if they're less words and they're memorable, then they'll probably remember them, you know, and they should stand for what we stand for. So I just kind of landed there intuitively. And what ended up happening is I brought them back to the business and people remembered them and they used them because they were catchy, you know, do work, live zen, break the box, wow, everyone. I mean, I wrote those 15 years ago or sorry, 13 years ago. And I don't even have to think about it. I still remember them just like I'll, I remember my next company's core values because they're designed to be remembered. Now, later on, I kind of I figured out that, oh, I'm there's a thing called Miller's Law which is one of the most cited laws in psychology around memory. And I happen to like design a number, a number of words that fit into Miller's law, which is the human brain. They call it the magic number seven. You know, the human brain can remember seven items plus or minus two. Well, do work, lives then, break the box. Wow, everyone, that's nine words, right? It's like, well, there's Miller's law of seven plus two. So I had designed values to be remembered. And what I realized in that room was that what we're taught typically and and I think that I really do believe my book is a kind of a new technology on how do you look at values is that we're taught we need to discover our values. What do we stand for? What's, what are our authentic values? What are, what, what, what matters to us? I mean, do you know the, the, the core, the definition of the word core values, Sue? Yeah, core, definition of a core value, all like, the like, core values, something yeah. that is fundamental at the core. It's the, it's what, it's your core. It's the seed you plant. Yeah. So that would be an example. I I, I, and I wouldn't argue that that's wrong, but uh, I looked it up because I actually, I didn't, I'd never looked it up till after I wrote the book and I was that's like, well, interesting. I, yeah, I, that, this, <laughs> cause I'm, I'm, I'm a person that just kind of goes with my gut. And so I looked it up and the, the, the Webster's dictionary definition of the word core values is it's the fundamental beliefs of a personal organization, fundamental yeah. beliefs of a per- personal organization. Yet in that room I sat in, you know, two thirds of the room, either they themselves couldn't remember their values and, or their team couldn't remember their values, three quarters of the room, excuse me. And there's data on this. Gallup's done some work on this. And the number is nine out of 10 companies, less than 80% of the employees know their core values. You know, it's a pretty big number. And I find that to be pretty consistent. You know, that exercise that John and Ken put me through, whenever I speak on the topic, I do that to the room, make everyone stand up and 99% of the room sits down, you know, 
at, but on one of those three questions, and usually about eighty to ninety percent sit down by the time I say to your employees and your core your core values. You know, so um, what I found was was that the typical pro- the process was broken. Discover what's authentic, roll them out to your team, and then maybe do have some ongoing implementation. The problem is 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 that they're being thought of as like this asset that you just drop in someone's lap and they're going to do something with it. Mm-hmm. And, and it's like, it's like anything that's complicated. It doesn't come with directions. Right. And so your team's like, thanks boss. Uh, I got work to do. And then they just go back to work. Right. And, and then we go, Oh, Hey, let's have our core value meeting. And they're like, Oh, when's this bullshit over with? I just want to get back. I got work to do. Right. Or they'll, and you know, and so people try all these little tactical things to make them stick, but, but they haven't done the most important part. What I say is that itself, the design rollout implement. So design weak rollout, weak implementation. You, you get what happened in that room that day. People don't know the core values because you didn't do anything to help them learn the values. Um, your team doesn't show up and say, man, I, I can't wait to learn the core values. And what some people do is they'll say, well, I make my team memorize them. I'm like, oh, how's that going for you? You know, I don't think that that's it either. Um, what I landed on intuitively was that if we want people to remember them, it's really easy. Make them memorable and make them easy to remember. So I believe that the most important part that people get wrong is you have to design them to be memorable and to be remembered. And in my book, in chapter five, we, we walk through a whole methodology on that. Like, how do you make it so that they're authentic to the organization, in the language, tone of the organization, and that they're easy to remember? If I do that, I get the do work, lives and break the box while everyone, like my last business. Now, I could have just gone with the themes. What were the themes? Work hard you know, or grit or something like that. Integrity, innovation. What's the last one? Excellence. But, but those are generic. And people usually pick those generic words. And I'm like, yeah, you and everyone else. You know how many clients I've worked with now that have a, one, a core value of either results orientation or excellence? All of them. You know how many people have a core value of innovation? All of them, you know? Um, so you have an opportunity to design it into the tone of the organization. And, and that's where I think my, my work really takes things to the next level. Well, once you design it, you got to do a meaningful rollout. And I view core values, and you asked what the core value equation stands for, and I'll talk about it in a second. I say that core values have have the opportunity to become the language of accountability for your organization. Well, if I want you to learn a language, I don't just say, hey, here's a 400 page book in Spanish. Like, let's go have conversational Spanish. Like you're going to like say like, yo no comprende, right? Like you're not going to learn it that quickly. So, but that's what we do. We go, oh, hey, here's, our, here's my values, go do them. And they're like, what does that even mean? Right? So what I, what I did in chapter six of my book is we have this really robust, meaningful core value orientation. And I look at it as an immersion. And I tell people, you want to spend three to four hours with your team and, and, and there's a very specific process where we teach them their personal core values, we teach them the company core values, and then we integrate the two together. And, and I believe that when you do it that way, it, it gives people some, some substance by which to understand what core values are, number one, and how they can apply them because they play with them, they use them, they spend a couple hours together. And so I believe they have to be rolled out properly. And I talk about that in the book, I call that a core value way. We want to have that big event where people learn what they are. And for new employees, that can be when they first start. For existing employees, we want to go back retroactively and do it. So I just I had a, a, a publicly held company, a publicly traded company I'm working with uh, with right now, and I did that with them. I, I I rolled it out for the first thirty of their managers, just so they could see how it's supposed to be done. Now they have to go back and roll it out to three hundred other people, but the goal is, is that you do it. You got to 
roll it out and integrate them, immerse them in that language so that they can actually like understand it a little bit. You know, it has to become personal. It has to be meaningful to each employee in their role and what they're doing in their world. Uh, we have, I have the saying, this one of our intentions in our, in my book, the uh, part of the partnering intentions, there's 10 of them is that people don't argue with what they help to create. So you have to allow them to create some kind of component of it, how it's, what it's meaningful to them or their group or their team or their project, whatever they're working on. And then everything they're doing in every day is towards that. It was interesting too about values because values are really a beliefs and beliefs are clusters. Right. Either a cluster. And so uh, it's very hard to change people's beliefs. So they have to, they have to, it's sort of additional as opposed to subtractional. You can't just say here they are, they have to add to it and become a whole bloom together so that you, then they really do buy in and, and uh, own the values. Yeah. Yeah. I think buy-in's huge. And this kind of goes back to the design process. If I tell you your core value is call it integrity. Well, if you really look at how integrity shows up in an organization, if I just say my core value is integrity, it's kind of two-dimensional. Like, okay, well, well, integrity to you might be a little bit different than integrity to me. And that's not the best one because integrity is not that negotiable. But let's use the core value of call it, I don't know, driven, right? The way you define driven and the way I define driven might be totally different. You know, we might drive for it from different ways, right? And so what matters is, is that we have a common understanding of what the core value means. And when I put people through my design process, well, driven probably shows up by exhibiting excellence and courage and selflessness and good communication. And, you know, you can kind of go transparency and trust, right? There's all these things that pop up when we are driven, why we're driven. And that's why I'm like, look, you can have your cake and eat it too. So I like to, so when you go back to my past company of do work, lives in, break the walks, blah, everyone, we have a 10, 8, 10 bullet points that describe what that looks like in the business. And we're pulling from all these different values, these clusters of values, as, as kind of as you're saying. And then what ends up happening is someone shows up and A, they understand what it means. And B, they can see when you immerse them in it through a, an effective core value rollout, they get to attach their values to it. And when I tell people, it's like, look, it's not that your core values and mine have to be perfectly aligned. It's just that they can't be in conflict, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I think that like, we can find a way to get, to, to get them to work together. Because if, if, if you show me any company with the four or five set values that are important to them, I'll show you four or 500 people with different values that find a way to, to align, the, to connect the two, right? In their own way. Are you finding so, any difference in generational, you know, because generations have kind of have their own set of clusters of values? Do you see any, have you seen any difference in that in your way you need to roll them out or how they get expressed? No, I mean, I think the process, because the last step is ongoing implementation, right? And so I think the process itself is is more of just uh, a consistent, creating a consistency and generationally, people are not going to suddenly not put themselves and their needs before the needs of the company when it comes to value connection. Like that's not going to change because I'm Gen Z versus Gen X versus, uh, you know, uh, baby boomer. Uh, that's human nature, right? So there's human nature. And I, and, and I think, I believe that at least the way I've approached it's from a human nature standpoint, put the team member first, say what you are, be explicit about it. Don't negotiate on that. 
and then they either match up to it or not. Now, how stylistically, how they work within that might be different generationally, but like you either a hard worker or you're not, <laughs> you know, you either value transparency or you don't, you know, that's kind of, it's very binary. And I believe when they're designed well, that it's binary and that it's either you're either living it or you don't, it's either a fit or it's not. And, and what I found is that that crosses all generations. I had in my business, so I didn't tell you where I grew from that. My next business I grew was a business that I just exited. And we grew that company from 30 to 1,000 employees in three years. It was a nine-figure company. It was a big company. You know, one of the largest mortgage lenders and servicers in the United States. And I had all sorts of people. I had people in their 70s and I had people in their 20s. It didn't matter. Our core values were people matter, strength of character, um, inspiring leadership, and rock solid service. And that stood for caring for people, being inspirational to one another, uh, having high integrity and service orientation. And you either did it or you didn't do it. You know, you, you either treated people the way you'd want them to treat your mother or your brother or father, you know, putting people first or you're selfish. Like it didn't matter what generation you're born in. I think when you get, when you really do core values, well, it transcends some more of the tactical, which is where we run into these, you know, issues around generation. We say, oh, well, millennials are all about themselves or they're more, you know, about, you know, let's say diversity and inclusion or something like that. I, I think that those are examples of a deeper value, right? Diversity and inclusion is around open-mindedness and that's around, you know, being in an inclusive environment and that's around having multiple opinions and multiple uh, li like uh, experiences coming to life, right? So when we start to look at that, that's honesty, that's truth. That's courage in some environments, right? Those transcend all, transcend all generations. So I had a, a mentor who he and I got into this because he said, well, I, you know, core values can change. And I said, no, they can't. I said, your company core values aren't allowed to change. And, and I have, and, and I've since kind of put an asterisk next to that, right? Like if a, a PE firm buys you and they're put in a new, a new management team, sure. Like that's a whole different company, right? The person, your core values are the personality of the organization. So the personality just changed. But what he, he used the example of, well, I have a company, it's a family, a multi-general, it's a multi-generational billion dollar company. Son-in-law's taken over as CEO and he's all about driving in, you know, innovation, artificial intelligence, big data into this logistics company, right? They're like a manufacturing logistics company, you know, old school company. They're all, they're like this old, you know, Sunbelt company, like they don't care about innovation at all. And now this guy, kid's coming in and he's rocking everyone's world and he's getting a culture clash. And he said, well, how do you, how do you explain that? They, they I'm telling them they have to redo their core values and say, innovate, innovation is one of their core values. And I said, I disagree with you. And he said, well, why do you disagree with me? I said, I said, well, why are, why are they being innovative? And he thinks about it for a second and he says, well, because they want to have a successful company. And I said, well, what are their core values? And he goes down. It's like, and one of them was like being competitive or winning or something like that. And I said, that's just a representation of being competitive. Tactically, they're expressing it differently than they had. In the past, they were taking people on the golf course and shaking their hands and steak dinners. And now they're big data and having more innovation. The, the core of that is winning, being competitive how they do it is expressed differently. So I use that as an example because I think that goes to generations. How we express the values might stylistically be different, but they, the core is the same.
Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. The core values don't shift. And yeah, they can shift if you get, you know, like a crazy, some huge change happens to the organization, then they might need to shift or they might shift. The thing I see most often is often is if you have a strong leader at the top and then someone else comes in, they can shift the core values. I mean, yeah, or you get this culture clash pretty quickly. I pushed back on him and I said, look, it, it, it's, I would push and say the board basically didn't, it, you know, let's say the board's in charge of hiring that person at the top. The board didn't do their job of making sure that leader's core values fully aligned to the company values. And so they didn't the, tell them that was their job either to make sure that the core values were stayed intact. I yeah. Mean, I mean, I mean, that yeah. That just doesn't happen very often either. That's a pretty yeah. big, that's a pretty big miss. And, 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 and I don't, I'm not surprised to hear that that would happen in private equity because they're in it for financial gain and they're not, and, and some are, are going to maybe be more conscious of these things. But I think this is an evolving mindset to your point earlier on mindset. This is an evolving mindset because people are realizing that, oh, if I get a bunch of people to come together and they share values, you know, if I, I'll give you an example. If everyone in the company has a value of hard work, that's one less thing to bicker about, right? That's one less piece of friction. And I view core values as a friction removal process. If I get a bunch of people who are aligned from a values perspective, I don't have to look over their shoulder. I know that they're diligent. I know they work hard. I know they care, right? If I'm measuring for that, and so I always say that core value creation, if you want to do it well, is discover, design, roll out, implement, and measure. I want to, and then I'm going to optimize and I treat it like a product. It's just, it's, it's my most important product in my company because it's the product of fundamental behavior. And, and so if you're doing those things, then I'm able to eliminate core value misfits out of the organization. I'm able to optimize my hiring process to make sure that the people that get a offered a job are in alignment. Now, is that a perfect science? Of course not. You know, but the minute you recognize you, you misstep, you got to ask that person to, to be successful elsewhere. Hi, this is Sue. Sorry to interrupt the episode, but I'm so excited that my new book, The Trusted Leader, is about to launch. And if it's after February 1st, 2022, then it's already out there. And so I'm so excited because for years, I've been asked to help leaders to create a high trust environment. We have worked for 35 years to go in and help leaders uh, through intervening and facilitating the development of high trust teams and businesses. And now I'm teaching leaders how to do this for yourself. And trust is so important because it's really like having your foot on the gas of your business. And in so many businesses, people are working so hard, but their foot is on the brake as well. And so you expend a lot of time, energy, resources, and you just can't get where you should or could get. And so I hope you will go and get the book now and start your trusted leader journey. You can go to www.sudico.com. Dot com slash book, and you can get the book there, and you can pre-order the book there, or you can get it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or anywhere that you get your books. But I hope you'll go and get it and start reading it. I can't wait to get your feedback and to be on a trusted leader journey with you. Let's get back to the show. You know. Well, one of the most powerful things I see is that the people actually self-select out 
Oh, I when your that. values are strong, they you attract people who are in alignment and the people who aren't in alignment self-select out. And so you know you have a team that is in the same mold of trying to move forward together towards whatever it is you're trying to achieve based on the, the foundation of these core values. Yeah, it's the ultimate decision-making engine. And it does, and, and to your point, it it attracts the right type of people, you know, if you lead with really strong values and, and I, I'm, I say you do it like literally when we would put ads out, it, the first thing we'd put, we'd put in the ad would be our core values. And then when we interviewed them, we'd interview with, in the language values. And then we did reference checks. It was with values. And then their first day on the job is a core value orient, orientation. If you do all those things before they've even done one minute of work in your business and they're like, I'm not aligned with this they're going to probably self-select out to your point. And so you get a lot of self-selection, which is great. And then, you know, if you're a company that hasn't done this work yet and then you do it, it's great because you put up this big Chinese wall and say, here's here's what we stand for. And people that aren't into it, they leave. Some don't leave right away. I mean, but if if you're, you know, sincere about it and you are adamant about it being true, People will start to self-select out and then and then it gets tight and then it, and people start to hum and you get that vibe. And I always say, like, you know, use the word culture. I don't love the word culture because I think people misuse it. I think you're using it properly, but I say, look, cu- culture is a it's an output, it's a thing I get by doing all these other components properly, right? Well, it's like a it's almost like a stew, right? Values, mission, vision, accountability, st- strategy, put it all in there together, stir it up, culture comes out, right? And what a lot of people do is they, they 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 try to like manipulate the culture without the components in place. And I go, no, 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 no. If any of those culture, if any of those components or ingredients are off, that soup's going to taste different. And that's your culture. And then, and so I'm always trying to figure out how do I keep it perfect, right? And it's a fight. You know, you're going to fight to make your values be true. The bigger you get, because especially as you grow, it's hard to maintain a culture. It's hard to maintain values. I would jokingly, half jokingly tell my team, I'd say core values are not nirvana. It's not like I roll them out, do, an, do all the things I've done, put you through an orientation with them, and then ta-da, core values are alive and well in the organization. You have to fight for them every day and accountability is on your left and it's on your right and it's with you. And if you don't like the, if you don't think the core values in the company are where they're supposed to be, it's real easy. Look in the mirror. You're part of it. You're part of the problem and and you're part of the solution. So, but the company owns the responsibility of making sure they're designed well, authentic, implemented well, ongoing, uh, rolled out properly. The company owns that. If the company does all those things, then the team owns it after that. And celebrates the people who are really living the core values. That's so important too. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I'm all about trust and developing a high trust uh, environment, high trust culture. Uh, How how important do you think trust is to be a leader uh, within their business, within any business? Yeah, I mean, I think it's trust is uh, table stakes as far as I'm concerned. Trust and it's part of integrity. And I think it's table stakes. I think you have to have it. Trust comes from consistency, right? So when I have, when I know what's going to happen, that builds trust. Now, the consistency may be good or bad. I could trust that I could trust that I can't trust you, right? That and so what kind of, it's what kind of trust do you want to create? So I, I believe like that I want consistency around the values. And again, if those so I'll give you an example. I, I, I had a client, 
you know, who, when I exited my company, I started consulting with companies and helping them, you know, build their values. And, you know, one of their core values was driven. I can't remember what, what we translated it to, but it, it was like, like just do it or something. It was like something around like getting after it and like really hardcore environment. And I always say, I have a saying, I say core values don't need to be nice. Meaning that if you're some hardcore, like Uber's number seven core value was toe stepping, toe stepping, like I'm going to step on your toes, like get out of my way. Right. Travis Kalanick made that their number seven value. Now, a lot of people were like, oh, he's an asshole. And I'm like, yeah, maybe, maybe, you know, but he did build one of the most successful companies in the history of companies, you know, and that was the val- one of the values that helped get him there. Now, at a certain point, it didn't scale well because they were doing some underhanded stuff. That was the culture they built that got them to that point. It just didn't scale past a certain point. So I, I believe that trust is really important. I like to have it come from a place that aligns to my values. And my values are around, you know, having fun, building, you know, high integrity organization, honesty, transparency, uh, hard work. You know, I, I, I don't, I, I have a hard time working with people that kind of go at a medium pace, you know? So I had told my business partners, we had four core values in my last business. I said, I think we need to add a fifth one. They're like, which one? I'm like, I don't know what you want to call it, but frugal or cheap, you know? Like I do, a, I do an arbitrage on Uber and Lyft when I get off at the airport and I'm running a nine figure company. I'm the CEO. Literally, I'm like looking, this one's seven bucks. This one's nine bucks. I picked the $7 one. So why'd that matter? Because I had executives, you know, taking black cars. And I was like, what are you guys doing? We're cheap. You know, like we're, we're like kind of obnoxiously cheap, yeah. you know? And so like, if you're a, if you're a ivory tower type of executive, who wants to ride in the black car and go first class everywhere and eat at, you know, a couple hundred dollar dinners, you're going to not going to be happy when you go to expense that stuff. And I'm up your ass, you know, it's uh, also, also the employees look at it and they go, that's completely inconsistent with our core values. So then you don't have trust. You don't have right, integrity. You know, yeah. Right. Total inconsistency. Darius is doing it this way, but David's doing it that way. I'm confused, boss. Mm-hmm. I thought we're like this, but I got my bosses over here like doing this opposite thing. It's inconsistent. And again, breakdown and trust happens. So that's what it, it, it gets even more important as you get bigger because you can start to get these pockets of inconsistency. And all that is, what does that do? That creates disengagement, lack of loyalty, turnover. And in a services business, hey, I hate to break it to you. Your people are your product, you know? And until AI and robots and take take over mankind, and we're just sitting on islands, you know, paying for everything in Bitcoin with our automated robots doing all the work, uh, you know, like until those days happen, you better depend on people to to create a quality experience and product for your for your clients, and that comes down to values. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, values. I have a client that uh, actually uh, is an airport, and they had a crash, a plane crash. And I remember the CEO uh, sharing with me how uh, it was uh, like the worst moment and his most proud moment because all the core values of the organization just came into fruition. And everyone called in, everyone showed up, no matter where they were, they were there, they did whatever they needed to do, they took care of everyone. And uh, they said, you said, you know, I, I couldn't have done it myself. It was the core values that allowed for all of this to happen in a way that was uh, the best it could possibly be in a, in a tragic situation. Yeah. It, well, you, you know, I, in my book, I call that invisible, the invisible manager, 
right? And I say that core values are the opportunity to become the invisible manager. And it's not about Sue or Darius or that CEO telling you what you're supposed to do. It's that the core values, when they become the invisible manager, people just know what the expectations are. And they and because they, if they've done a good job of hiring to those values, there's not a lot of thought. Like this is the, like they're naturally wired to do it that way without thinking. And then you reinforce that by the fact that it's maybe a company that did a great job bringing them to life. And people will align to those values because the invisible manager kicks in. It's binary. We do, when this happens, this is how we react because our fundamental beliefs, again, going back to the definition of core values, are the fundamental beliefs of a person and organization say, we do this when this happens, right? You don't need a, there's no P and P or a standard operating procedure that needs to get written to tell you to do the right thing if you know what it is naturally and organically. And that's where I see the opportunity. Um, earlier on, you asked me what the core value equation stands for. And, and it, it's, you know, I was, I was all in on core values. In my last business, like I said, we grew from 30 to 1,000 employees and we did it in 36 months. And I noticed something when we had gotten to 300 employees. I'd grown from 30 to 300 employees in 18 months. And I had had zero growing pains, like none. We had an ENPS at 83% off the charts, employee engagement. And I didn't have great systems. I didn't have great training. I was like, well, like a bootstrap startup, more or less, that suddenly like grew like crazy. But everyone loved working for us and they were engaged and we were doing really well. And I said, wow, this is weird. And I noticed something really specific. People were all speaking to each other in, in the core value language we had taught them. They were referring to themselves and holding, there was just this like, language thing that was happening. And it got really like interested around that. And it was since I had a larger company at that point, I had a lot of resources to go play. And so for the next five years, I played and played and iterated, optimized. And I just like, this was my tool of choice and it served me really well. And so fast forward to 2019, I started writing my book and I, and I had worked with a coach out in Dallas named Dr. David Zellman. He's a performance coach who does a program called the transitions program. And he asked me a couple of questions one day during our coaching session. He said, Darius, what do you think creates all the results in our lives? And I said, I don't know. Is it like the actions we take? And he said, well, yeah. Well, what do you think creates the actions we take? And I said, is it the decisions we make? He said, well, what do you think creates the decisions we make? And so then he stumps me, right? I take a bunch of guesses and I get them wrong. And he goes, well, what if I told you it's the conversations we have you know, with those around us, with ourselves? That helps to us to form the decisions we make, which leads to the actions we take, which leads to the results. Conversation equals results. And I said, all right, maybe, you know, so I leave that conversation and this is like November, 2018. Now, mind you, I'm five years into like building this crazy core value company at this point. And, and I'm, you know, I'm like, I'm a learner by nature. And so we finished the coaching program. It's like a four month program. And in January, we did a postmortem. So I get on the phone with him and he's like, you know, how's your holidays? We're talking. And I said, Hey, I, 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 you know, I, um, I want to tell you something, you know, after we had our, you know, our coaching session, I went back to my organization and I noticed something, you know, when people are having the conversations that I like, I like the results I'm seeing from them. And when they're having conversations, when I'm seeing the conversations of our teams that are not necessarily the right conversations, I'm not necessarily into the results. And I noticed myself when I had the conversations, the right conversations with myself, I like the results or with my family, I like the results, vice versa, when the wrong conversations, when we're talking about things that are maybe out of alignment for me, uh, I don't like what the outcomes that come out of that. And I said, well, let me, you know, I have something I want to add to your conversations equation. 
And he said, well, what's that? I said, well, you know, what are conversations made up of? And he says, and you know, this is weird. It's like the students challenging the teacher moment. He said, like words. And I said, well, what if the, what if, you know, the words that you chose were perfectly aligned with your core values? So what if your core values were the language of your organization? Wouldn't they then be the words of your organization or of your, of your life? And he said, well, I could see what you're saying. I said, so if core values equals words and words equals conversations, and like we said before, conversations equals decisions equals actions equals results. Now there's a law in math called the law of transitive equality, which is A equals B and B equals C and C equals D and D equals E equals F, A equals F. I said, so therefore core values equals results. So that's actually where the book title came from. I love that. That's that's fantastic. I love the way you think about that too, because uh, I think I think the same way. So yeah. I love that. Uh, yeah, you know, I've I've always uh, in, in my book I talk about how values create attitudes. You can see that they come out in the conversations, but then that's what creates behaviors. If you want to change behaviors, you got to look at the values. If you're not getting the behaviors you want, you got to look at the values. Definitely. So I, uh, I so appreciate you being here. One, the last thing I wanted to talk to you about, I wanted to ask you about is your, how did you come up with the pink unicorn as your, you know, your symbol, your mascot? Yeah. So it's funny in the book, in the book, I talk in chapter seven around implementation. And I always say there's three things you got to do when you do implementation. One is you got to do the core value rollout. Second is I call it core value advertising. You got to put them all over the place. And, and last is core value storytelling, which is find a way to get people to talk in, in just organically about people living the values in the organization. And I give some recommendations on how to do that. Those are the need to have if you want to make core values come to life, if you want them to become the language of your organization or even of your life. I do core values with my family um, now. And so, but one of the things that, that you can do, if, and this is the nice to have, not the need to have, is you really have fun with it, building core value symbols, core value mascot. And in my former business, we, we landed on uh, our, our mascot being a pink unicorn. So the origin story there is I have two, two sons. I have an 11-year-old now, and I have an uh, 8-year-old. And this, is, this, is, this happened eight years ago. So my 11-year-old was three, and my 8-year-old was like not even like his baby. Um, and um, and uh, my wife, for Christmas every year, would make us T-shirts. Now, my three-year-old loved My Little Pony. I mean, loved it. Like, he was, like, in love. And his favorite My Little Pony was Pinkie Pie, which is the little pink pink pony. So my wife, for whatever reason, made my son and I pink unicorn T-shirts. So I wore the pink unicorn T-shirt to the office on Casual Friday, back when that was a thing. And my whole staff just went nuts. They're like, oh, my God, we love that. We want that T-shirt. And I said, well, if you guys do, you know, hit your numbers this month, I'll get you all pink unicorn t-shirts. So they hit their numbers. I got them pink unicorn t-shirts. And then, and then the next month, or it was like two or three months later, I said, all right, if you guys hit your numbers, I'll get you pink unicorn track suits. So then I got them like Adidas warm-up suits with the little pink unicorn on it. And I said, you know, you guys know what the pink unicorn stands for, right? And now our core purpose in that company was growing happiness. And our core values were the ones I mentioned earlier. And I said, the pink unicorn symbolizes growing happiness in the mortgage industry. Now, mind you, this industry got beat up pretty badly because of the things I talked about earlier in the show. So the pink unicorn was a mythical creature. It was happiness in the mortgage industry. And uh, when I exited the company, I said, oh, I'm taking that with me. So, you know, my book's pink. You see behind me right now, I got pink unicorns. 
I got it right here. Yeah. Yeah. It's all, it's all from that. And in, in fact, the t-shirt that I'm talking about, that's that little black frame thing. That's the, that's the t-shirt that my wife made me. Very so cool. yeah, it was just, uh, it's my, uh, you know, my, my, my oldest son, it's, it comes from him. I love how organic it evolved. Oh, it, that, that it was, went, that's very cool. Yeah. It went so, it went completely viral in my viral, country. like as viral <laughs> as, as like in the book, you see a lot of examples. I always tell people you should go to the company. I mean, this is a mortgage servicing company. Like this is the most boring, unsexy, you know, just blue collar finance business. Like it's not, no one says I can't wait to be in mortgage servicing when I grow up. Nobody says that, but you came into that company and it was a fun place to work. Still is a fun place to work. Um, and the, the staff calls themselves pink unicorns. They literally, that's the, and they, and they mean it. It's not like a joke. Like it's, it's a thing. Um, so that, that's where things can go. If you get people, look, I, I say this too, and I mean it people really like this is human nature. People strive to be a part of something greater than themselves. And I believe that values and our companies can be a vehicle for that within our. So that's, that's where, you know, I took a boring blue collar finance company and turned it into like, people would walk in there like, this is like a, like the most techie FinTech company you've ever walked in. And I said, this is a cool place because people want to be a part of something greater than themselves. And all I did is just lean into that. So with that, I always ask everyone this question as, at the ending to give the listeners their, your advice on what they could start doing today to really begin to create a, a, a core values-driven organization. Well, they should buy my book. <laughs> that, well, that's a given. And also your podcast, listen to your podcast. Yeah, yeah. No, you know, um, yeah, I mean, I actually think my book, my book really, you know, I, I interviewed... Um, I don't know. Do you know Cameron Harold? You friends with him? No, I'm not friends with him. So he wrote a book called Vivid Vision and Meeting, you know, I think with Double Double. He's written a bunch of books. He's and he runs COO Alliance. You know, he said the one thing to me was, you know, Darius, you've decoded core values. And I think that it's this like it's a thing that we all get, right? It's the fundamental beliefs of a personal organization. Everyone understands they're important, but they don't understand how do you take bring them to life in the organization. And I think that you really have to design them to become viral and sticky in the organization. And then you got to do, it's, it's not a ton of stuff. It's, it's a lot easier than people think, but it's got to be the right stuff. So I always tell people like, you got to take stock of what you have. And I think the book really gives this really simple and, and straightforward framework on, on how I believe the best way to do it is. And it's about making it easy because the minute it becomes another chore for your team or for yourself, it's real simple. You won't do it and they won't do it. So you got to make it easy and you got to make it organic and sticky and, and then it just does all the work for you. And before you know it, you're like, you got pink unicorns running around and, you know, people are having fun and, or whatever your mascot's going to be. But, but yeah, I, I always tell people you can't force it. It's got to be organic. And when it's done well, it, it takes on the life of its own. But, but I do think taking stock of what are your values and are your company core values something that are easy to remember and inspirational? Are they, are they, are they allowing people to be a part of something greater than themselves? Or are they boring and out of the in the box, right? Are they they are they? Do you sound like the guy across the street? Could I could I differentiate you between you and and your competitor by reading your values? And if the answer is no, then I highly recommend that you have some work to do because the what I I say this and I say this wholeheartedly as technology gets cheaper and faster and more available, that is the great equalizer for every company. And when that happens, price becomes more commoditized. 
So, the, so if price is commoditized and technology is ever present, what separates me from my competition? And my belief is it's the people and it's the values and it's having a better team that's more aligned. And your core values are the tool to get you there. So what I tell people is say, hey, listen, in the next 10 years, companies that get this are going to be eating the lunch of the companies that don't. And the ones that don't, it's not like they're just going to underperform. They're done. They're going to go out of business. And so it's in all your best interest to figure this out. That's so awesome. I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, I, I completely agree. Uh, I want to thank you so much for being a guest here on Lead with Trust. It was just fabulous having you here. And uh, tell everyone where they can where they can get more of you. Oh yeah. So you know, my hub for all things Darius is www.therealdarius.com. So you can go to therealdarius.com. That'll take you to the book or you can books everywhere. Just Google the core value equation. And then you can also see me on my, I have a podcast, The Greatness Machine. Uh, But all that's on the great, you can get that through therealdarius.com and I'm on all social media. Great. Thank you so much, Darius. Yeah, Really appreciate it. Really appreciate it. I I will always remember the pink unicorn and you. (laughs) I appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Sue. This has been fun. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Lead with Trust and that wherever you're listening to this podcast, you will subscribe. And if you enjoyed this episode, send it to someone who you think can really use this message that you got today. And also, please leave us a review. You know, your honest review wherever you listen to your podcast would be much appreciated. And of course, the more reviews we get, the better they are, the better for the podcast. I'm truly on a mission to get more and more people to understand that trust is the essential element. So I hope you'll be part of that. You know, this show really exists to help you leaders to build your business on a foundation of trust so that you can reap the rewards of becoming that top performer in your market. I see over and over where no one can possibly reach the levels of those people that understand how to build a high trust culture in their business. Now today, if you're really curious about starting your trusted leader journey, you can get started right away if you just take the free trusted leader profile and you can learn where you fall along the trusted leader continuum. And this really can unlock your confidence on where you are and what you need to do. It's very specific on what you can do. Gives you a snapshot of your leadership style. So if you want to take that, just go to www.sudyco.com and then forward slash profile, and you will get immediate access to the trusted leader profile. Once again, that is www.sudyco.com forward slash profile. All right, that's a wrap. I just can't wait to hang out with you again on our next episode.